Hello everyone, I am David Morneau, and you are listening to the Pulse Influencer Marketing Podcast, where we pick the brains of top influencer marketing experts to get actionable advice you can use in your business. If you're sick of high-level, fluffy influencer marketing strategies, you are at the right place. This show is brought to you by InBeat, an influencer discovery platform to help you find the best influencers on TikTok and Instagram. You can try it for free by heading over to InBeat.co. We have Andrew Campy with us. Andrew has a weird, unbiased position in the influencer marketing space. He's been working with creators, he's been working with agencies, and he's been working in consulting, in creation. I mean, he's all over the place. He knows a lot more about the space than any other person that I know of. Thanks for being on the show, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It, it's a pleasure. Awesome. All right. So let me ask you my first question, actually. Can you tell the audience a little more about your background, how you got into influencer marketing and where you're at now? Yeah, um, I was working actually in an influencer marketing agency. Um, I was pricing and analytics. So I would literally build Google Sheet models of influencers prices and figure out campaign per campaign to campaign I would figure out what is our budget what are the influencers charging what are we trying how what are what are our goals how do they match up and, and how do we put it all together and make a profit and have a business um there's a small agency inside of like a TV network it's called Q um, I was working there for a few years and then I knew like my personal goals in life were to branch out and get more knowledge of the industry as a whole. I thought influencer marketing was an amazing amalgamation of everything I've done in my life of being a creator, a filmmaker, marketer, everything. It sort of pulled all of the best stuff of what I thought was really cool. And I thought the future of influence marketing is only bright. Um, and at the time I was working in this agency, I just wanted to know, you know, what else is out there? What are some other case studies? And I literally couldn't find a um, example. Like I couldn't, I had to find basically 70 different sources of information. Um, realized like there is no single source for the best data informed, awesome information. And so I made it. Uh, Influence Weekly is a curated newsletter every single week that curates everything I find around the web that's insightful, data informed, and generally positive for the industry. I don't include yeah. anything that's, that's uh, down, downing any individual person because I think this, this industry gets shitted on because we're so close to influencers, but influencers and influencer marketing are vastly different. Yeah, so, so I cut out a lot of the, the negative things um, and only share the net positive. So sometimes there will be like a negative uh, sounding article, but there's some some great lessons learned. But on the whole, I'm, I'm sharing great case studies, great studies, uh, quantitative and qualitative information, interviews with really cool people around the uh, industry. Um, and yeah, and I've been doing this newsletter yeah, now for like three, so almost three years. Definitely forgot to mention that, but uh, Influence Weekly is an awesome newsletter. I think you're, you're probably the best curator in the space. Uh, the content that's there is very unique and not as repetitive as what we can find when we do Google searches, to say the least. Um, and where yeah, you at? Where you at? Being, yeah, sorry um, about that. Oh no, just about the Google searches. It ends up being that I started the newsletter by doing Google searches, but I just did like super specific Google searches for things that I really wanted to find, like case studies. And I ended up compiling a bunch of sources. And over the last say. I've been doing the newsletter for two and a half years, 
but the last year and a half, um, more and more, less and less is coming from Google searches and me actively finding stuff. And now journalists are contacting me, agencies are contacting me, letting me know like of their upcoming stuff. So it really turned, I started as like literally knowing almost nothing in this world, like only knowing my own company's uh, workings. And now I have a very broad view of the entire industry and people are sending me a probably like five to 10 emails a week of like, here's what's going awesome. on in our world. And I love it. Like I, I, I wish more people would send me emails because most of them go into the newsletter. They know my ethos. They know it's got to be positive. It's got to be data informed and it's got to be insightful. And they send it to me and I, and I include it. That's awesome. Yeah. So that gives a very unique mix of content. So Andrew, um, where do you think the industry is right now? It's a question I like to ask. So, so I mean, right now is in like this year or this, this month, because this month. Yeah, let's make year, it this year. I mean, uh, coronavirus definitely changed the game for the entire thing, but uh, let's make it this year. How has the industry evolved and where do you see it going? Yeah. So um, I think, so if you had asked me this question before 2020, um, funny enough, the answer would have, would be the exact same as I, I'm about to tell you now. So there is no, almost no difference. And in fact, coronavirus has impacted the industry by just speeding up what I'm about to say. Um, so the industry as a whole, isn't necessarily one thing like influencer marketing and influencers are sharing only a little bit. Because influencers and creators have a larger um, economy. Like the creator economy is way bigger than the influencer marketing industry. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and the influencer marketing industry has a lot of strata or layers because, and they won't mix. Like with your, yourself, you, you, you specialize in micro-influencer marketing. Yeah, that's right. There are companies that specialize in the biggest top celebrity uh, influencers. There are verticalized. There are people like Black Girl Digital is li literally two, two black women who are running an influencer marketing agency. They, they tell you right up front who they are, what they want. Um, the Gay Passport tells you their travel, they're gay, they're working with influencers who are travelers and gay. Like there are huge amounts of verticalized influencer agencies around topics. There's also verticalized around style. Like, are you micro-influencer, macro-influencer, celebrity? Um, there's also styles of influencer marketing, like more relationship-based versus like media trades. Um, and this was on exhibit at the end of 2019. And what I said then and, and still holds true now is there is just an explosion of these verticals. Everyone is niching down, prioritizing and really focusing on one core thing. So the influencer marketing industry is only getting a wider and taller and bigger and more niche. So each individual entity is saying that they're really putting, planting a flag right in what they are doing. And so in total, the industry is fantastic. The industry is looking really, really good that a, a brand or a marketer who wants to spend money can spend money in almost any way they want to and find the agency or work that they want to do with someone. Yeah. And I, I love that point you brought up uh, earlier about um, influencers being just one portion of the revenue for creators. 
meaning that these influencers are making money with brands. That's only one revenue stream, right? These influencers have other revenue streams that they're capitalizing on, which makes the whole industry even more interesting. Yeah, and so, uh, so this week, actually, that we're recording this, I'm literally launching um, what's called Creatorscape. And I'm launching it with uh, Influence.co, so they're hosting it. A year ago in 2019, I created Influ uh, a Creatorscape, and I released it on my own website. But this is a 2020 update, and it's exploded. So last year, when I created Creatorscape myself, it showed from a creator's perspective what money what revenue models can they use and only one of the one of them there was like 627 companies on this on this page last year 400 of them were influencer agencies but that was only one category out of about 15 that influencers could make money on so creators could make money in a in like 15 different ways only one of which was brand deals um this year however we focused on what are the what are the business models and activities a creator actually has real, um, uh, what is it, like precedence over. Like they can actually physically do it. Because influencer marketing, most agencies will only contact influencers when they have a, uh, a gig or a job. They, yeah, definitely. It's one way. So what we did is we focused on the companies and the business models that a creator can actively pursue. So Creatorscape 2020, only looked at about last year I had about a hundred companies in the categories that we picked this year in those same categories over 280 companies so almost 3x the amount of companies are helping creators monetize or build or do production than last year so I know I we like to talk about influencer marketing but I'm curious how do creators right now um, seek to monetize other than influencer marketing what are the trends in there so the bigger trend, so the trends, the, the, and what I am interpreting a trend is like anything that's up and to the right. So let me first say what is up, uh, what is down into the right is um, ad revenue. So yeah. about three, not two years ago, there was the adpocalypse on YouTube. But generally speaking, ad revenue for creators and ad sharing, revenue sharing on platforms is very hard to get. YouTube still remains one of only few. Uh, TikTok is not sharing ad revenue. Snap is not sharing ad revenue. Twitter is not sharing ad revenue. Um, <clears throat> Instagram is definitely not sharing ad revenue. Obviously, everything, there are ways around that. Like Twitter does have a Twitter video. You can sign up as a publisher. The Snap has Snap Discover. But those are very much gated communities. Um, of, it is not like YouTube where a creator can just create a channel get through a couple of levels and then generally programmatically enter into a partner program and make ad revenue. YouTube still remains the only one. And so there's more platforms, less ad revenue for creators. But here's the other things that are just absolutely exploding. Um, access, which we called access. It's like one-on-one -on -one chats. It's like live stream. It used to be live streaming like you now, but now we have super peer we have Charity Buzz, we have Greetsly, Starsona, Cameo, Daryl. What are those exactly? The, uh, what do they consist of? So these are companies that are selling essentially versions of live streaming or versions of making a custom video. So it's Cameo, um, Charity Buzz, Starsona. Um, these are companies that you can 
ask a creator to make a video for you gotcha. or to have a one-on-one -on -one chat with. Um, there's Throne Live, there's you now. This is, was considered live streaming before. That's an interesting uh, venue of the industry. So essentially these creators are being paid for their creative side more than their audience in this sense. Uh, they are, so this is, it's a weird little category. So it's, it's um, not content and licensing, which we have it on, on this chart of Creatorscape. So content and licensing actually is, is getting big too, where influencers are selling like actual pieces yeah. of their work for the rights to it. So that's like, um, Juke and Media, Storyful, you can even sell on Unsplash, Be Real for uh, um, drone operators, Vimeo Stock for video people, Shutterstock, Epidemic Sound if you want to sell your um, audio, uh, Getty Images if you want to sell photos. There's a lot of ways to sell individual content, but it, like, how do you get a request? That you need to have a platform where a, a fan can ask a creator, can you make a video about this? Or can you make a video for my dad to wish him happy birthday? That's what's happening on my cameo. Okay, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I get um, it. Membership. So the other category that's up and to the right is, is memberships. Um, there is a, an incredible amount of tools online to build membership communities, but also just to charge for memberships. That includes your Patreon, but also includes Substack if you want to just send a newsletter. It includes uh, Podia if you want to send, sell digital products, but also set, set up a membership. Um, I mean, YouTube Gaming and Twitch, you can sign up for a membership for a channel as well. Um, memberships yeah, this, like doubled or tripled since last year. The subscription, uh, the subscription membership is yeah. taken over. I mean, the, the Patreon model is just being replicated and it's, it's a good thing for these creators. Well, it's being replicated, but in very interesting ways, right? Like the Substack has been around three years and you pay for a newsletter, just straight up here's in your inbox an email yeah. every week. I love um, Substack. You have Supercast, supporting cast for uh, podcasts. You have Ghost if you want to create a publishing platform. Yeah, that's have... what we use on our blog. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. But you don't, have, you don't charge for memberships yet. No, no, we don't. We, Ghost we're... allows that. Yeah, no, um, they, they have a lot of features out of the box, yeah. And there's also, like, for podcasts, it has exploded the subscription model, Radio Public, Supercast, as I said before, Supporting Cast, Streamlabs. Um, there's the Acast. So if you're right, there's a way to charge subscription model. If you make video, there's a way to charge subscription model. If you just do audio, there's a way to charge subscription model. That has really blown up in the last year. And these companies have been around for a couple of years, so they're all very good technology. Yeah. So for the people listening to this on audio, um, Andrew created a huge visual piece with all these companies on it where you can visualize each company by category. I'll add the link in the show note, uh, Andrew, if the, if it is released, when were you planning on releasing this? Yeah, it's literally being released as we're recording this tomorrow. So when awesome. you release so this, it'll already have been, it will uh, be in the show notes. Definitely. Awesome. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting also that ad revenue, the, the increase in the category of ad revenue has actually, we, we're seeing more marketplaces now. So ad revenue was, it used to be like you share your ad revenue that you make when you create content and you make ad revenue from ads before or after your video, right, on YouTube. Yeah. But lately since 
so Famebit was like one of the most um, well-known and it got bought by YouTube, but there's a bunch of other platforms now that are marketplaces for branded content. So we have thought leaders paved um, and they're video and newsletters and all types of stuff. Like now you're selling ads within your own content. You don't have to rely on ads being sold in front of your content anymore. Yeah, and uh, that's one of the points I wanted to address with you because this, you know, there's always this, uh, this duality between marketplace versus, you know, discovery and outreaching yourself. So what's your take on the place of a marketplace right now in the current influencer marketing space? Okay, so the data tells me that marketplaces don't work. That's like tells me the, the same, previous yeah. Um, I think... But yeah, by the time, already just last week, um, Famebit literally put out a message that said like, we're closing our marketplace because it only makes up like 5% of our revenue. Like, and it takes up like way more than that in, in cost. So like, we're what only doing- What makes the rest of their revenue? Managed services, just agency work. Yeah, okay. And so what's interesting is, we're finding out that like, those marketplaces don't work, but I'm sure there's, what looks like a marketplace on the outside, but works differently on the inside is going to work somehow. And someone is going to figure this out. Um, Cause there's still more marketplaces that are exist. Right. And they keep popping up. Is it because like the question is, is it because they think they have something different or they know something different or they're verticalizing um, buy, sell ads and carbon ads uh, is a really good example. Like, they are for developers, for designers. Like if you're, if you're a company that wants to get in front of developers, you go there. If you're a publisher that has developers, you go there. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting is verticalized markets might actually work way better as long as those verticals are big enough to handle a marketplace. But we'll, we, we, won't, we won't know. Like we'll know in, in like a year too late. You know? yeah. We'll know once it works, right? That's, that's yeah. essentially it. That's how it's going to go. And, you know, just picking your brain here, what do you think uh, a marketplace that works would look like? Because clearly Famebit looked promising. Um, I thought it was actually working, you know, but now I see that it didn't. So agency is being the biggest part of the revenue. I'm wondering, what's your take on I mean, what's a, a good marketplace? Well, so fundamentally, and, I, and I've talked about this a little bit with my in my newsletter, as much as I could to like follow this trend of agency or marketplace, because it's a good question for brands. It's a good question for also creators to know, like, what should I be spending yeah. my time on? It seems so on the outside, when, it, when you talk about like influencer marketing marketplace, let's talk about that. It seems like a great sell. A, a publisher or a creator or an influencer sets up their profile and then gets brands. A brand can find a bunch of influencers at the same time. What ends up happening, though, is that influencer marketing individually, so why a marketplace should work is that it should decrease the amount of work on both sides. But fundamentally and inside, it actually increases the work. Because when now you had like a direct, if, a, if you have a data, if you have a, a a company that uses a database to find the influencers, reach out to them and get their responses. Do you want to work with us? Yes or no? What's your rate? That is a one, uh, one 
unit of distance. When yeah. you create the marketplace, you create two distances of unit, two units of distance, but both of those have to go back and forth. So you end up having four. So you actually squared the amount yeah. of work. You didn't decrease the amount of work. You actually squared the increase the amount of work. Yeah, that's definitely, I think you, you mark a, a good point there. Um, you know, it's not like uh, buying backlinks on a publisher marketplace in the SEO <laughs> space where you can just pay and it's transactional. There's always going to be yeah. back and forth on how you want the product to be placed, how you, you want the product to be, you know, put forward, what selling points you want. So you sign yeah. up to a marketplace to still have those conversations, like you said. So you add extra points of contact to have these conversations. <laughs> And again, what I'm telling you now is like a problem that is a fundamental to influencer marketing, but someone's going to figure it out. I hope, like, I hope someone figures out like a good way to do this. Um, and what's interesting too is in a normal ad revenue, so why Facebook and Google dominate ad revenue is that it's double blind. Uh, an advertiser doesn't necessarily know exactly where the ad is placed. A publisher, if you have a, if you are on Facebook and are creating like a feed content, you don't know, you know, if what ads are being placed against your content. Um, so it's double blind. And this allows both parties to, you trust Facebook. You trust that the, the CPMs are correct. You trust, yeah, you have this yeah. trust in influencer marketing though. The, the best work I've ever seen in influencer marketing is double opt in. It's not double blind. And so what happens is again, you're not, Double blind decreases the amount of work for both sides. I don't have to care. I don't have to approve of any ads that are on my platform because I just use my platform. As a marketer, I don't have to approve of any publishers that are on. And again, and by the way, the, one of the biggest things here in the notes is like, this is why ad apocalypse happened is because marketers realized on YouTube, like, oh, my videos, my ads are being placed against this content that I don't like. They wanted a little extra bit of approval. And so, yeah. Um, so it's interesting, you know, that these, these flaws show up all the time. Um, but these feet, these flaws can be features and these features can be flaws. Um, but influencer marketing at right at this moment, the absolute best work I have seen has been double opt-in, right? A brand and a creator both approve of working with each other and both bring the creative aspect to it. The brand yeah. says, here, we're going to give you these resources. We're going to give you this unique thing we're going to do. And a creator says, okay, I'm going to bring my creative prowess and I'm going to make something for my audience that only I can make for this audience. Exactly. And I agree with that. I mean, the best relationships you can build with influencers are treating them as your creative consultants, having them be part of the project. If you're making influencer marketing transactional, you get, you get less optimal results than if you're, you, like you said, double opt-in, I think is the right term to this. The influencer buys in and you buy in, it's, 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 it's bomb for success. They know their audience better than you do and they know how to tell their audience about your product better than you do. That's and, for sure. And, uh, and I'm not, um, I'm not a shill. I'm not like, I'm not, um, what I'm about to say is not like a, a, I'm not a salesman or a pitchman, but by God, like agencies are literally like the best way to do influencer marketing because an agency is going to have the creative experience of creating a yeah. campaign. Like brands who do influencer marketing on their own, to, the only ones that succeed are the ones that have internal creative 
uh, talent. Investing resources, investing resources heavily into it. It's not a set it and forget it kind of thing. Definitely. And so like, by the way, like I am bullish on agencies. I think that over the course of the next five years, we're going to see 10x the number of agencies. I think agencies are going to get slimmer, but also that you're going to see some consolidation. Um, You're going to see people like, especially just what's going on now is just a rapidly making every change that I said about a year ago happened faster. It's like people are losing their jobs at the middle sized agencies because like the work is just evaporating and their salaries can't, can't be paid. So what do they do? They can't do anything other than create their own agency. They're a mom and pop shop. So we have now like people who worked at like 50 to 150 to 75 person companies that those companies are now like 20 to 30 people. But those, all the people that got laid off are like, I still got to eat. So let me at least do some freelance work, way less overhead. And yeah. I can also verticalize and, and, and niche down to say like, hey, I did 10 campaigns in the beauty industry. I'm only going to do, I'm only going to work with clients that are in the beauty industry that work with Arab uh, creators in Qatar. Like that, that <laughs> is like a few agencies and, and there's enough work there. That- and there's a market, exactly. Yeah. There's a market enough to feed a family and four employees quite easily. There is a big market for all these sub verticals. You're absolutely right, right like, on that. Yeah. Like you're going to be like, you're going to, you're going to find like five agencies in the next year are like selling tennis rackets to pros. Like yeah. you find yeah. it's like a B2B influencers for tennis rackets, but there'll be five of them. Like, and I mean, there's, there's job, there's job, the market's growing, the spend is growing and yeah, I mean. Yeah. Year pl- over year, you're going to see the spend and influence marketing increase because it's part of digital, right? Yeah. So tr- right at this moment, but, uh, digital marketing is down like 33%, but traditional marketing is down 39%. Yeah. What you're going to see when it rebounds, when it comes back at, in Q3, Q4, because there will only, they can only spend in digital. From for the rest of 2020 until 2021, there you can't spend on out of home. You can't like there's nowhere to spend. Yeah. There's no there's no um there's no uh, inventory. So the only inventory that exists and the biggest change that I see also in the next five years is that right at this moment, you have about I don't know anywhere between two and 20 million people at home that are starting their side hustle. They are creating their own YouTube channel for the very first time. They're writing their newsletter for the very first time. They are creating their blog for the very first time. But we only see, we only see the result about a year later. It takes about 12 months to a year to really get a good audience built up. And so in about a year, you know, spring 2021, you're going to find about 10 to 1% of those people now have like a successful, good, big audience. And so you're going to see like an explosion of inventory online and niche down so agencies have to pop up there will be more and more agencies there's going to be like 2x to 3x the agencies because there's going to be 2 to 3x the amount of content and and next year yeah and i mean from what what i see on the agency side is a lot of people are going to influencers as well to create their content um outsourcing completely their product photography to a network of influencers cuts down the content cost like crazy and gives you content that's relatable, which converts way more in Facebook ads. So I can definitely see that. And you're going to find out that like in a year, every, every illustrator that a year before 
you were paying like a hundred bucks for their like, you know, one logo, they now have, you know, a hundred thousand followers. So you want to get, you know, them to promote your product as well as like work for you. So like content selling content is a really good thing for small audience creators but suddenly in about a year, you're going to have people all have an audience. Like now they're going to have the audience and the content. They're going to not just be, oh, they're a micro influencer with, with good content. They're like, oh no, they're a hundred thousand audience and they have great content. Yeah. And a hundred thousand comes quick, right? If you keep at it, it's, it comes, it go, it comes quick. And so I guess the, the, their audience is essentially kind of like a resume to their skill in many ways. Yeah, it's social proof. Yeah, well, it's exactly. social proof, but also audience is a lagging indicator of quality. Like yeah. quality content. And, and you never, well said. It, takes, it takes so long to figure out what an audience wants because you've got to like put it out there, test it, try it. And you have to try it 52 times. Like what I've seen whenever I ever, anytime I've ever started a YouTube channel or started something, it doesn't hit for a year. It, for some reason, it's a magical number. Like right around one year, if you do something 52 times in a row, people will take notice about a year later. Like exactly. you will see a huge amount of difference a year later. That's awesome. That is awesome. So let me just bring this in another direction because I just want to cover these topics. Um, so what are the challenges you encounter when consulting with clients? I know you consult a lot with clients on how they should do influencer marketing and how they should take it forward and so forth. And I would love to know what the challenges you are seeing right now. Uh, the challenges in influencer marketing as, as a whole, an influencer agency? Yeah, no, as I mean, are you, so you're consulting with agencies and brands. Is that correct? From what I recall? Yes. Maybe, so, okay. so I help them. So basically I do what I do in my newsletter, but privately. So essentially getting, um, doing research reports for agencies and brands and saying like, Hey, like, yes, I publicly like reveal all this stuff week over week. But funny enough in my newsletter, like not everybody reads everything I put out. So it ends up being that I'm literally the only person that reads every single <laughs> article and I read about a hundred articles a week. So you get, you get the like distilled, 10 to 15 articles in my newsletter, but really there's like 10 X more that I read about the industry. So the compound knowledge is, is what you're selling these. these yeah. And also I have all everything archived so that I can easily like grab it. Whereas like the newsletter, you have to know where like each of the links are or have them in your email, which actually some people I've heard like keep the emails in their inbox and use it as like a search engine to like find what they want and look for. Um, so what I do is actually I'm releasing this fairly soon. It's probably if this is in May, so it'd probably be sometime in June or July. I'm releasing my library for um, subscribers. So if oh, that's you, awesome. you get the free newsletter, but if you want to pay like five bucks a month, you'll that's have access to all the archives and search for them. And what are the biggest challenge you see that they're facing right now in yeah. terms of so their the, influencer marketing? So, Again, like I'll, I'll repeat something I, I mentioned earlier is like one of the flaws of influencer marketing is the feature is that it takes an incredible amount of creative um, talent and creativity to create a good campaign. I think the biggest threat to influencer marketing right now is getting away from the campaign. If a brand works with creators directly, they may lose 
creating a very good campaign. They may say like, oh, we'll just work with this in- these 10 influencers every once a month, every month on whatever they want. They lose the brand voice. They lose creatively putting together those 10 people into a unique event that only exists at that moment. Um, and I don't know if I, I can explain that very well or if that's something that people will just automatically understand is that there is influencers, there is brands, there is ads, and then there's the campaign, which is the creative amalgamation or collection of those creative pieces of work. Yeah, under one like common theme, let's put it that common way. Common theme and temp time. So temporally, there is some limit. So yeah. campaigns, there is the... I have seen over, I don't know, maybe the last two years, some reports that like show that always on campaigns are, they, they quote unquote say that they're increasing, but I don't think that's the actual answer. So I looked at collectively had a report and they surveyed like, do you have an always on campaign? And they did it two years in a row. And funny enough, in the, each of those reports, they said, com- they said in their report, companies are increasingly doing more always on campaigns. But if you look at the reports year over year, less of a percentage said yes to only doing always on the second year. So what I think is happening is that maybe collectively there are more companies doing always on campaigns, but because more more companies are doing campaigns in general, that the percentage that are doing always on is getting less. Yeah, that that would make sense. And I, I just just for the audience, can you clarify what the what you mean by an always on campaign? So that's actually a, one of my problems of <laughs> the, the survey is that they didn't really necessarily define always on as well, and I can't really define it. What I imagine, and this is totally my my own imagination, is that what they mean by always on is that our influencer marketing is not based on only doing quarterly launches or when we have yeah. products that we, we are always working with influencers, which is not an always on campaign. It is that you are always doing influencer marketing. Yeah. It's a bit of a word salad. Um, so, I hope there's yeah. some actual answer. I can see, I can see there's confusion of like, Hey, no, I'm always, I'm doing an always on meaning that I'm like always doing influencer marketing versus like, no, I'm working with the same influencers. I have someone on my team dedicated to talking with them to keep the relation intact. That's what I consider always on, but maybe the survey people actually just always on is just, yeah, I'm always doing influencer marketing. Exactly. Yeah. There, there is like a bit of, um, I imagine that the actual people who are working with the same creators, year over year is very small. We know them all. We, we, I, I cover all of the times when there's like signed to a year long contract. I cover them all and it's very few. <laughs> yeah, ex- I, I agree with that. There is very few. Um, with some of our clients, you know, we, we keep an ongoing relationship with our ambassadors, our top performers, we call them VIPs to be more specific. And we send them product regularly, keep a relation. We have a dedicated account manager because that's where we get all the results. I mean, if someone's posting a, picture with our product for the fourth time in you know three four months like at some point people are actually trusting it as genuine like it get compound effect exactly and it doesn't look sellout we we try to stay away from that and that's one of the problems i think and i'd like to have your opinion on that i think there's a lot of sellout effects you know a lot of influencers have fake engagement and so forth and their their profiles are, are eight eight out of ten posts are like a copy and paste of like just some script that they were given by the company and it's it's sponsored 
eight out of 10 posts is sponsored. Like they, they lost all the trust from their audience. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think that's very easy to pick out those people. It's very hard to pick out the people who are um, doing a good job because you don't realize yeah. it, right? Like um, it's, it's sort of the influencers have to pass the smell test and some companies are not savvy enough yeah, exactly. So some companies are not savvy enough to understand that influencer marketing is different than influencers. Yeah, um, I like that. <laughs> I really like that. And and that's a it's a huge divide. I see, I see a big actual like threat. And and I've heard this now from about two or three CEOs of influencers. Talk to that threat to them personally and their company is is the term influencer marketing. If there was a better a better way to distance themselves from individual influencers, they would. Uh, one is, I, I'm going to out them now because if you find that they're probably the only one that says it, like they do relationship management. Yeah. Okay. Like that's a little esoteric, a little yeah, vague, it is, but it that is. works for them. I mean, that works for them. It's like, oh, I don't, as a company, as a brand, I don't want influencers. I want relationships. It's like, oh yeah, like that sounds good. That, that is, sounds nice. That is powerful. And I mean, I think it is a good, even if it's, a debate on like the meaning of the words. I think it's good to have that divide because influencer marketing is just a term being tossed around by marketers in many right. ways. And, and it actually has real, real meaning where influencer yeah. marketing is you're not buying billboards. You're not buying. So influencer marketing is truly me means you go and find the actual individuals who determine and, and, and impact the decision-making and purchase decisions of cons your, cons your consumers, not all consumers. So what has been compounded, and I'm, I'm actually sort of okay with it because it's exploded the influencer marketing industry, is compounding that the only influencer marketing is not only online digital creators. That is one part of it. Yeah. Um, you mind if I give you like an example of influencer oh, marketing no. that doesn't have uh, um, Please do. influencers? So um, this is actually from like, 30 years ago, Camel Cigarettes. It's one of the best case studies I've ever read where like the marketer for Camel Cigarettes realized that every bartender in New York City has a pack of cigarettes and gives away free cigarettes to patrons. And so what he did is instead of going and just buying ads, he literally went and just gave free Camel Cigarettes to every bartender in New York. That's and, so, and that's like, and now that cigarette was in the mouth of consumers was being given to them. It's gift, quote unquote, gifting, right? Um, yeah. But it has no relate. It was before any social media existed. It's before you had any type of idea of creator. What he found is the influencer in people's decision to smoke, right? Um, that is good. And I think it's a good framework to, to understand what, how influencer marketing could be powerful is if you could get your product or service into the hands of someone who has an audience that is looking for that, right? It's not an audience. I think we, we also conflate like having an audience with like having an audience for your product. Um, one of the best examples of influencer marketing that worked on me in particular is I was trying to learn calligraphy and I was watching YouTube channels on calligraphy and they would literally say, I'm using my Tom, Tombow 
pen. Yeah. And so I, they didn't say like, go buy this. Here's my affiliate link. Yeah. Like I, I watched them use it. I tried to learn calligraphy without it. I couldn't. And literally I'm holding right now a Tombow pen. Like I went and bought this because I saw it used in a YouTube video. And here you are mentioning it on the podcast. So it, it carries weight. It carries weight. Definitely. Cause it works. I mean that, yeah. that is getting your product in front of people who actually need your product. Yeah, exactly. Want it more than need it, but yeah, that's awesome. That is that is very good. I think I think I saw that case study in your newsletter, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? The camel one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I covered. It was so, such a great article. So it, like, embodied influencer marketing without influencers. I mean, there's like as bad as cigarette companies are. There's so much to learn in marketing from them. They're always constrained. They're constrained to the to the neck all the time, and they they come out with strategies to distribute that. I mean, they're they're always ahead of marketing. I'll link to that case study in the show notes as well. If you can cool. send it to me afterwards, yeah, uh, it was a good read. And uh, Andrew, let's uh, let's keep. We're running low on time right now. I just wanted to end this discussion on on uh, your Food Network uh, competition. So how did that go? I saw that you participated in a Food Network show. So I want to know yeah, when, about that. Yeah, when I, when I moved to LA, I was, uh, thought I would work in film and TV, and I did. But I also, like, all my friends are comedians. And, um, yeah, we applied for a Food Network show. I am the Gizzard Wizard. No way. <laughs> I cook really good gizzards. And so we applied to a food network show that was looking for amateur chefs to win a food truck. It was called food truck face off. Um, me and a friend, we dressed up as wizards and tried <laughs> to cook chicken. And we, yeah, we, we, I'm on the food network. I'm on a food network show. I, I <laughs> spoiler alert. I didn't win. I don't have a food truck called the gizzard wizard. I still have the shirt. <laughs> I mean, Went for a food truck and did with their shirt. Not that bad. Oh, I, I brought the shirt with me. I made a, a Gizzard Wizard shirt and I brought it with me. So, Oh, you made the shirt. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> all right. I didn't, like, literally the only thing we got out of it, we didn't, I don't think we got paid. We got a free trip to Toronto to um, film. That was awesome because we could film for our YouTube channel. At the time, we had a, a foodie YouTube channel called Travel Bites You. That's awesome. So, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, if you guys want to contact Andrew, what's the best place uh, people can contact you? Well, sign up for the newsletter, influenceweekly.co, and then reply to any of those. I I reply to every email that I can, hopefully, unless it goes to my spam folder. And sometimes I reply to those too. Um, Yeah, you can reply to me at hi at influenceweekly.co, just at the newsletter you get. You can reply to anyone, say you got a good article out of it or want to learn more. I'm happy to uh, jump on a call with any agencies and see what they're doing. I sort of keep my pulse on the, I keep my finger on the pulse of the industry by talking to people like yourself who are in the industry and and give me like sort of anecdotal information and I add it up and it's like a a really good viewpoint on the industry. Yeah, you definitely have a, very nice global viewpoint of the industry as a whole. Thanks for, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll talk next week.